Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. Today, we are dishing with Sumner Brooks, co-author of How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. But first, let's do some catching up. Nicole, what's new? we're getting into the warmer months, school letting out for summer, all the fun things, and then there's no TV. So if it's a really hot night, I know we went from in Michigan, like the cold weather, honestly, to blazing hot. We actually had friends sleep over last night because their AC went out. It's so hot here. Uh, So if you're stuck inside, White the White Lotus on HBO Max. I think it's a six part, um, like six episode series. It was really good. Really, really good. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So that's, just, the, that's the first season of the series? Is that, is that what I you're saying? I believe that's the only season. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So, it's a quickie. Uh, not a big commitment there, but it was it was really good. Um, okay. So, Piper. <laughs> I think I mm. mentioned the vomiting and stuff. So, went to the pediatrician yesterday. Apparently, after one has the stomach bug, which is going around. you, Your family had it. My family. Well, Piper had it. But it's going around. Apparently, you get gastritis or inflammation of the stomach lining. It's very common, at least after a stomach bug, to have something like that. So she's now on Prevacid once daily for the next two weeks. We were just treating it with Tums, but everything, like all of her symptoms seem to align with reflux. And it's funny because Mark was like, she's allergic to chocolate. I'm like, no, okay, dietitian, Mark. Like, it's not that. (laughs) Um he was just convinced it was a food allergy. I'm like, there's there's no way that it's a food allergy based on what she was. So like one night it was red sauce, pasta and red sauce. The other night it was Cinco de Mayo. It was a really big late meal. And she had chips, uh, chicken fingers and French fries like 10 minutes before she went to bed because the restaurant oh. was so backed up. Um, and then the other time was milk and um, ch- those perfect peanut butter cups. So chocolate. So Anyway, I think we figure that out, but she's so funny. She's supposed to swallow the Prevacid. She can't swallow it. She just chewed it up and she's like, mm, tastes good. I was oh. like, what? <laughs> the pediatrician said, open the capsule, mix it in some applesauce. You know, I was all prepared for that. I was going to try and have her swallow it first, but yeah, anyway, it was just funny. I was like, I was not she expecting just chewed that. it. Yeah. That's and she's funny. like, <laughs> I was like, go ahead and spit it out. And she spit like granules of Prevacid into my hand. I'm like, okay, just kidding. Lick it out of my hand and swallow it. Oh, if you are <laughs> like, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was it was glamorous for sure. Uh, okay, what else? Lots of updates. I haven't talked to you in a while. Shay can ride a two-wheeler, which was one of my summer goals. So as of mid-May, I'm rocking it out here. Um, yes. Had an amazing girls weekend in Chicago. My book club, um, all the moms went to, um, yeah, we did Chicago for a weekend. We did an Airbnb in Chinatown, ate some amazing just Asian food. Uh, we we did it up. We did drinks on the 27th floor at the Wit. Um, we did Moulin Rouge, which was so great. We did RPM Italian. We, we just, we did it all. It was so, so fun. Yeah. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yes. It, it's been exhaustingly fun and craziness on the home front. So what's going on with you guys? Oh, man, not as much excitement as that. I will say, though, you know, Paige had had reflux or I guess GERD for years. 
um, and all those foods that you listed, especially eating right before bed. Yeah, that's a that's no good. Um, so having to time her meals and time like how, you know, how close to bed she ate fried food or chocolate, anything with caffeine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was some kind of our life for the first four years of her life, honestly. So, so two weeks is, it ain't so bad, but yeah, <laughs> it's still, it's still difficult and it's scary when you don't know what's going on. So I, I can relate. Yeah. I can't um, imagine with an infant, it's hard enough watching my five-year-old run around the house with a giant like popcorn bowl like ready, you know, yeah. I mean, cause she, and she's very in tune. She said, when it, when I starts, when my tummy hurts, it ta- takes, she says, quote, one half hour to one hour <laughs> for it to oh. feel better. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so sweet. Yeah. She's got body attunement. Look she at her. She does. <laughs> oh, sorry. I interrupted. No, no, totally fine. I brought it up. Okay. So, oh, oh, so random. Just a few things. Just a reminder. I did. I'm sort of starting my own business-ish, you know, still working full-time, but my my business is Nutrition Unmeasured. I'm actually, I just purchased my website. Everything is sort of in the works right now. Uh, it's going to be a very basic website. So at least I can kind of point people in the right direction on where to get in touch with me and kind of what programs I offer. But if you're interested in my intuitive eating program, just reach out to me at trustyourbodyrd at gmail.com. Or of course, you can send us a message on Instagram at Dietitians Dish Podcast. That would be fine too. If you're interested, I can get you on my waiting list since I'm only doing two at a time at this point. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is so random. But when I was in graduate school, I can, I can remember learning about how taking calcium when you're PMSing can help with blank symptom. Okay, so I, I had this thing with Paige. She doesn't drink milk. So I've been very obsessed with get, figuring out what I can give her to get her some calcium in. I keep buying gummies. She hates them all. So I finally bought one more thing of gummies. She liked it for a little bit and then she stopped eating them. Ugh. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take these. So it happened to be that I took them right before my period, probably about a week before. And let me tell you, this was, I, I will tell you, I did not, I wasn't really thinking, oh, I'll take these before my period because maybe it'll help with blank. I just started taking them and I realized that my boobs, my breasts weren't hurting at all. Like I usually get very, they get swollen and they get, they're painful. Like I'll go for a run and they hurt. But for, I, I, I kind of realized, I'm like, wait a second, am I not going to get my period? What's going on? Why am I not getting this? Because I, I track my periods on this app and I usually have the pain and I know exactly when it comes. It never came. And I, and I kind of went back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I started taking those calcium pills without even thinking. It was 250 milligrams. I took it once a day. And if you, so if you have breast tenderness before your period, and this is just anecdotal, I will say, you know, but I would suggest taking calcium before and it might help. Again, you know, of course I have to say, ask your doctor before taking a calcium supplement, but generally it's innocuous as long as you're not already taking a bunch. It's 250 milligrams. Sorry, if you already said that. No, it's okay. Yeah. So that's what I took and it significantly helped. And, and, Yes, I don't know if that's what it was, but every other time I've had this breast pain, I can almost almost guarantee that's what it was. Nothing else has changed. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing that about a week before and I didn't have the breast soreness. It was actually kind of nice. What app do you use to track your periods? Good question. I don't know. It was a free app offered on the app store. Um, it's it called always, Flow? It's a, no, it's not called Flow. I couldn't even tell you if I had. Oh, I can tell you now. It's annoying because you can't actually get into the app without looking at a bunch of really dumb ads, which I think is pretty par for the course. Uh, 
but I really like it. it's called PC and I I guess that stands for period calculator perhaps um but it has a flower on it on the front a generic looking just a digital looking flower um yeah and it's kind of got it's pink with a white flower I love it it's just super easy to use yeah I can just click on it and see when my period's going to start I'm very regular so that helps obviously so if you're irregular it still helps kind of seeing like kind of the, you know, month to month what your period's doing. But yeah, I generally know exactly when I'm going to get my period, exactly when I'm going to have bad sleep and exactly when I'm going to have sore breasts. So when I didn't have them this month, I got a little nervous, but I, I chalk it up to calcium. That's funny. Yes. All right. So that's enough with the catching up. Before we begin, just a quick favor to ask. Since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course, we'd appreciate it. All right. Well, today we've got Sumner Brooks on the on the podcast. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified eating disorder specialist based in Portland, Oregon, who's been working with clients on all levels of the disordered eating spectrum for 15 years. Sumner is a mom and has put her knowledge, intuition, and parenting skills of intuitive eating to the test of real life. She's also the founder of an online training platform for weight-inclusive eating disorder professionals geared toward dietitians called EDRD Pro. Uh, all right. So I'm so excited to welcome Sumner Brooks to the podcast. Welcome to our podcast, Sumner Brooks. Uh, just to kind of start off, go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about you. Great. Thanks so much, Gina, for inviting me to come on. I am a uh, mom and a writer and a dietitian. I'm based in Portland, Oregon, and I've been working in the field of nutrition for coming up on 15 years. Um, I have lived experience of uh, eating disorder recovery, and my two kiddos are seven, almost eight, and my daughter, and my son is four and a half. And um, I, I guess I split my time between being mom and being business owner professional. Um, I run a company called EDRD Pro, which is an online training platform for registered dietitians. And all of that stuff keeps me pretty busy. That's awesome. I didn't realize that you had a seven and a half year old daughter. And when is she turning eight? August. August what? August um, 11th. Oh my gosh. Well, I have a seven and a half year old daughter too, who's clearly also about to turn eight because her birthday is August 17th. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And I also have a son who actually just turned five. So we're very similar. Oh, we are. Yes. yes. Uh, Nicole, the co-host for this podcast, has two young ones about the same age as well, but two girls. So gosh, it's a, a fun, it's a fun place to be. I think I'm still sort of like reorient, reorienting myself out of like little kid zone stage and mm -hmm. recognizing like how quickly everyone is growing and changing and we've got a house full of people now instead of little babies. And it's, it's really so fun. True. It really is fun. It's becoming fun. We've had a lot of conversation about this lately. I've I've been it's been stressful for us the co past couple of years if I'm being honest, like really stressful for various reasons, but mm -hmm. I think we're we're seeing the light and I'm really starting to enjoy this age, both of their ages actually. So, yeah, yeah, lots of challenges no doubt, but yeah. also lots of fun. Yeah, definitely. All right, so what prompted you to write the book How to Raise an Intuitive Eater and just kind of in your own words, what do you think makes it different from all the other intuitive eating books out there? 
Well, I think there's there were a few different things that prompted me to write the book. And I want to start off by um, letting everyone know that I co-authored the book with Amy Severson, who is a dietitian um, in Washington, also an eating disorder specialist. And gosh, I think I sort of always knew that I had a desire to write this book, but it was sitting under the surface a little bit. Um, one of my very longtime and close mentors, Elise Resch, is the one of the original co-authors of Intuitive Eating. So intuitive eating has really been a model and a lens that I have worked through and with almost my entire career. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have had so much great mentorship from Elise. Um, and then as I became a mom, um, you know, just realizing the very difficult um, and chaotic nature of feeding kids, you know, really starting to experience how hard this is. Yeah. Um, and also I have one of my, one of my kids is a pretty selective eater and um, that's been challenging too and presented kind of a lot of learning opportunities for me and just ways for me to think about how can, you know, how can I help my daughter? How can I help myself? And how also can I help educate other parents with their challenges but through this approach of really wanting to protect and foster this healthy relationship with food and body, because there is very little accessible information out there for the general public around feeding kids that acknowledges how important this is and how much we are missing the mark by only focusing on, quote, you know, weight control, uh, weight management, size, which is pretty much like saturated the childhood feeding environment. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very important to me that we have this conversation with parents um, because I think, you know, everybody who's a living person can, can stop and pause and reflect on how um, influential their relationship with food and body can be. You know, I know we all have a different story, but we don't all get much of an opportunity to unpack our story, unpack our experience, kind of make peace with our past, and really settle into a place of being mindful and intentional around how we raise kids. So that's what this book is for. Yeah, I, I, I really love that. Actually, um, before I read your book, I read Ellen Satter's book, which I, I feel like she would probably be, un, un, maybe she didn't do this on purpose, but sort of the first intuitive eating book on how to raise an intuitive eater. Would you agree with that? Like sort of the first one years ago. You know, I think there's a lot of overlap, um, which is why, of course, we felt it was so necessary to include division of responsibility in our book because they they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we felt was a missing piece that needed more focus and attention is really how problematic our environment is, how pro problematic like mainstream nutrition information is for parents, um, and to really just bring that into the focus. Um, because division of responsibility is really important, and we also feel like it's not enough. It doesn't really cover um, the whole picture of what we're seeing and especially what we've been seeing over the last couple decades with how parents are approaching nutrition. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely yours takes it and just really 
goes goes much further with that. I would agree with that. It's um, it was a good, I think, first book to read the Ellen Satter book, and then yours, I think, just kind of took it much further, and I and I appreciated that. And I don't know if this is a question actually. What are your thoughts on as you're as you're talking? I'm kind of thinking about this. I don't see it on my questions, although I thought it was a question. Do you think you can successfully raise an intuitive eater without being an intuitive eater yourself? You know, I do. I don't think it's. I don't think this is like a one statement answer. Um, we all have our own history and our own experience in our bodies. And certainly what we have experienced and practice with, with our own eating is going to be reflected in how we parent. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that many parents struggle with their relationship with food and body, um, which is a product of our environment and our conditioning. And I think that what matters is not whether or not someone identifies as being an intuitive eater or having a recovered or healthy relationship with food. I think that what matters is how they intentionally approach food and body with their kids. Mm -hmm. So I think that a parent can be anywhere on the spectrum of, you know, let's just for the sake of simplicity, call this a spectrum of healthy or unhealthy relationship with food and body. I think they can be anywhere on that spectrum and be intentional and protective and supportive for their children if they want to be. Yeah, I, I like how you say that. I In the book you talk about, and I'm definitely jumping questions here, you talk about the idea of generational dieting and how it may negatively affect our kids. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So generational dieting is a term that explains how dieting mentality gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, and if we kind of look throughout a a very broad and very general picture of like how we got to the place we are with diet industry in the United States and in other Western countries, there has been, um, you know, a good 50 to a hundred years of really explicit dieting being marketed to us. And a lot of that, has been sold to us under the guise of this being about health and that we should all be striving um, to achieve the best health that we can. And the way that we do that is by uh, one of the ways that we do that is by, you know, controlling body weight and controlling our food and exercise. Um, And there have been, you know, different sort of formulations of what these diets look like and what the focus is. But the big kind of core message that has been getting passed down is the thin ideal. So striving for thinness. And I think the part that gets really embedded is that as children, we so deeply want the approval and praise and attention of our primary caregivers. Mm -hmm. And when our appearance or our behavior, like how we eat or how much we exercise and what we look like, if those things are a source of praise, approval, and attention from our primary caregivers, then 
we sort of develop this really strong core belief system and identity around wanting to receive that praise. And over the generations, this kind of gets very stuck and it becomes a cycle and it does get passed down in our parenting styles. And I think that a lot of us don't, don't really have this opportunity, which we try to present in the book, is this opportunity to unpack that history, unpack, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm pausing for my dogs. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a dog. <laughs> I could hear the I wasn't leash. sure <laughs> what they were going to do. Um, maybe you can edit this out. I, I do have his beeper collar on so that if I need to give him a little ring, he can get the message. Um, but so with generational dieting, we just get these core messages passed down in different ways, but kind of broadly speaking about you know, controlling body size and how we should eat and how we control our health. And if we don't stop and take a look at that and understand that and see maybe where those messages have been harmful and understand what we don't want to pass down to our own kids, mm -hmm. then we just sort of do it subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So a lot of generational dieting happens totally unintentionally. And really, for many parents are doing it out of um, the desire to do what's best for their kids. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely not a blame game on parents by any means. Oh, absolutely. I You said at the beginning how you didn't realize how hard it was going to be to feed a child. I mean, I had Paige, my seven and a half year old, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to do baby led weaning. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you just don't realize how how much yeah your thoughts your beliefs seep into the way you parent and control their food even though subconsciously well consciously you know you don't want that to happen but subconsciously it happens so becoming aware of that is yes so important and I've talked about it on the podcast too it's it was seven and a half years ago when I realized that what I was doing with my life was wrong and I needed to change my path and become an intuitive eater. That's really what prompted me. Um, and it's really specifically, I think, from what you're saying, that um, letting go of the food police and challenging the food police rules that I think is really what helped me, uh, at least is helping me be a better parent as far as raising an intuitive eater, or being better about not controlling their food and not sort of passing on that generational dieting that I think got passed on to me. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, it can be so hard. It can be the simplest little thing, right? Like, like subconsciously choosing to praise kids for eating their avocado, mm -hmm. you know, instead of their Cheez-Its or whatever it might be, you know, this is totally not about um, like, you know, finger pointing at parents for choosing to do anything wrong. It's we're all conditioned into this. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just not a lot of space given to talking about size diversity and that, you know, there's, there's always going to be people in different, um, places on the size and weight spectrum and how it's really harmful to not accept that or to overlook that and to, um, deem some bodies, you know, as better than other bodies and all of these things that we do really without stopping to think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I know just thinking about my childhood growing up, you know, I think a lot of the messages came from my mom, but 
she had no idea what she was doing. In her mind, she was doing what was best for me. And that's, you know, I appreciate that. She had no idea that some of the things that she was saying and doing were harmful or else I'm sure she never would have done them. So yeah, absolutely not a blame game. It's just about, you know, learning and, and being educated and becoming educated at least. I think that's that's the most important thing. Um, and learning right. sort of where you can improve, again, sort of in your own journey. Um, but yeah, not about blaming. Absolutely. I, I, I know. And I even... Even after being an intuitive eater for several years, I would say, I, I feel like I'm really on my on a successful path of intuitive eating. I still find myself making comments to my kids and having to second guess what I said. And it happens still. It just seeps mm-hmm. in. It's Sure. So... Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that. We talk about how to repair when we, you know, make those comments or we have thoughts that we might feel shameful about or feel bad about, especially after learning, you know, there's, there's multiple parts to this. There's being educated and becoming informed. And then there's the whole process of change. And that truly is, you know, something that's going to unfold for people over time, months and years. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it really doesn't end. I don't think when we live inside of a culture and environment that wants to keep telling us, uh, we should be worried about food and nutrition and we should be managing weight and all of these messages that we get. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the book talks a little bit about the idea of negative parental control. Can you kind of explain what that is and how it affects our kids? Yes. So when we talk about negative parental control, we are specifically referring to the ways that parents might try to control the way that their child eats. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll have to preface this by saying there definitely is a need for parents to have some control, right? Not just control with food, but with everything, right? Because you're in charge of keeping this person safe and alive and content. So we by no means are saying that parents shouldn't be in charge or have some control, but we're specifically looking at the ways that negative parental control shows up and can negatively impact the child's relationship with food. So it becomes a way of interfering with actually some of the natural abilities that kids are born with to be intuitive eaters. So negative control, um, some examples are like using negative or positive pressure to get a child to eat um, certain foods. And that also can include praise and punishment. And then also restricting access to certain foods. And commonly this is, you know, this happens all the time, but, you know, restricting or limiting access to quote unhealthy or junk foods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things are really normalized. Um, like for example, asking your child to eat, you know, two bites of their broccoli before they have um, another piece of pizza, for example, that actually is negative control because it's, sending actually a couple different messages there. But one of them is that you have to earn your pizza or you have to eat the less desirable food before you can have the food that you desire. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about the parent? I'll be honest. I My kids generally get a dessert every single day. And I'm I'm not, I shouldn't say I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel bad about that. That's just how we are. I love dessert. Mm-hmm. I eat it after almost every meal myself. And it can be something as simple as a piece of chocolate. What are your thoughts on, and it's so hard. I mean, how do you not, we are all, I think, conditioned to have our kids at least eat 
most of their dinner before they get, you know, the dessert. What are your thoughts on the meal before the dessert, feeding, giving the dessert with the meal? Sort of how does how does that work as far as negative parental control? Because it is sometimes hard for me. I've already conditioned my kids to having a dessert after every meal. I'm okay with that. But sometimes I do think because I don't make them finish their meal. In fact, sometimes they don't even eat their meal at all and they still get dessert. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that? Yeah. Well, I say that sounds a lot like how uh, we eat here in my house. Um, I think that um, it sounds like there's um, something about that 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 causes a little concern sometimes or some questioning or some worry. And then I think that that's totally understandable because you're not told that as a parent that, that you're doing a very good job feeding your kid if they don't eat their dinner before they have dessert, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really deep and really strongly um, conditioned in us to think that way. Um, and I think that in these very common everyday situations, what we easily forget is um, some of the most basic elements of this process, which is when food is not provided, you know, conditionally, and when there isn't pressure and praise to eat a certain way, um, we forget that kids can be just fine on their own with making those decisions and knowing how much to have and when to stop. Um, Like we forget that because we are never told that we weren't told that as kids. We haven't experienced that, most likely. Many people haven't experienced that. And then we're also told that that's not the way that you parent. So, of course, we forget in the everyday moments, oh, yeah, I can totally stay calm around this. My kids have got this. It's understandable that they might be more interested in whatever that food is that they're looking forward to having for dessert because maybe they really like that food. Mm-hmm. Um But also, it's very easy to sort of get a little hyper um, focused in on one meal or one eating scenario. And we want to remember that all of the food that kids eat, you know, throughout their day, throughout the week, all of these foods are nourishing them. And it's not just, you know, the order of the way that they eat the foods at dinner time or how they're choosing certain foods at the end of the day. Um, so we want to be zooming out and looking at the whole picture and like, Oh yeah, I, that's right. They're, you know, sometimes during the week, my kids like eat the whole bowl of watermelon and I can't get enough watermelon in them. Right. So I'm, I'm helping to kind of remind people to zoom out, see the bigger picture and have some compassion for yourself that of course that little voice pops up that wants you to feel guilty or feel bad about the way your kids are naturally desiring to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That, I think that resonates and I'm sure people are nodding in agreement, and that just is so helpful. This, just the reminder to, I think, think about food patterns versus, you know, examining every single food they're putting in their mouth, you know, in one meal, looking at the whole week, the whole month and knowing that, they are the best intuitive eaters as long as we keep them headed down that path. So yes, yeah, best. it's really the bigger picture. I mean, I think about there, there are days when, you know, my kids might, might ask for three servings of ice cream after dinner. Mm-hmm. And there are days when 
they don't even ask for anything mm -hmm. after dinner. Um, and I think that I, even the way that I'm saying that sets someone up to have this vision of like, oh, this intuitive eating dietitian only gives her kids dessert after dinner, right? Mm -hmm. like, so we have this way of wanting to really like create these rules and like, like think, think that there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And I'd really encourage parents to know that however this happens at their house is okay. There's a thousand different ways that this can look. Um, some people don't have something sweet to eat with every meal or, or after every meal. And some people do. And I think still, when we realize that we are born with this ability to have some internal direction around when we need to eat and how much we need to eat, and that our bodies truly desire to be in homeostasis, our bodies truly desire to feel good and to regulate blood sugar. And we can support our kids with that through the flexible feeding routine, but that they also have a big part in managing that job and their bodies are built to do that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So as our kids get older, as you've probably realized, I know how I have too, diet culture gets inevitably thrown at them. How do we as their caregivers keep them on the food and body positive path? Oh, that is a lot of responsibility for a caregiver to feel like we have that, um, you know, that job, that very, very important job. And I do think that kind of the way you phrase this is right. It's like, how can we keep them on a positive path? Um, and acknowledging that none of us is going to have a tight grip of control over where, where they go on that path or which path they choose. They are going to be individual people who will make decisions and who will have external sources of influence that we cannot wholly control this. So I think, you know, everyone take a big breath and exhale and know that, yes, you can have some, some really important influence and no, we don't get to choose or control this. Um, but lots of things come up for me when I hear this question. Um, I think about how we can be really good observers and we can stay engaged in, in their lives and know, you know, what kinds of things they're hearing and learning about, maybe at school, maybe with sports teams, maybe with friends, maybe at other homes or places where they stay often. So I think being really present and engaged in your child's life in general is one way to sort of have your radar on and then look for opportunities where you can talk with them and connect with them about things that come up because things will come up. Somebody's going to talk about somebody else's body. Somebody's going to teach them some kind of a food rule that you need to help them learn to be a critical thinker around. Um, someday they are going to tell you for the first time something critical about their body or their appearance. Um, these are all opportunities for us to really slow down, be with them, and convey that we have unconditional love and support for their here and now body, no matter what is coming up for them in any of these environments, and that we are here for them. 
to not only help them to know that they can always get enough to eat and um, get satisfied and that they deserve those things, but also just be a really safe place to talk about tough body stuff, um, questions that they may have about food and body, be there to notice early on if something is off, if maybe they... um, Maybe they've had an interruption in their relationship with food and they need some some support and guidance. So I think it's really being a tuned in caregiver um, and intentionally um, stepping into tough conversations when they come up. You know, like an example of that is helping to teach your kids that body shaming and criticizing other bodies or judging other bodies is not a kind thing to do from a very early age. So, I mean, we could think of lots and lots of examples here, but I'll start, I'll stop there and I'll see what's coming up for you. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that reminder. I will say, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm very much, um, I, I, I love having control. I That's something that I have dealt with my entire life. It's like I feel – I can easily feel out of control and I need to get it back. So thank you for that reminder that, yeah, I can't control everything that goes on in my kid's life. I just can't. But I can do what I can to stay engaged and to show them – you know, positive uh, body image through through what I do with myself and my language. Yes. Um, so thank you. That's a that's a really good reminder. I'm not going to be able to be there wherever they go, and I don't want to be there wherever they go. They have to learn these things on their own too. So right. And you mentioned the modeling, and modeling is very important, and it's one piece. You know, it's one piece that will influence them in their in their really large life, and. Um, I I like to have parents kind of do these little check-ins and these exercises of like, how would it have felt for me to have someone early in my life who took time to acknowledge maybe when I was having a hard time with body or, 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 you know, open up a conversation about bodies that, um, that could have been really helpful, right? So if we think about our, our own inner child and what we would have needed and what could have really helped us, I think that's really where people can find their answers to these, this question. Yeah, that's a, that's a great suggestion. All right, so this is kind of changing topics a bit. Uh, you talk a lot about the correlation between diet culture and alcohol culture on your Instagram feed, which I've been enjoying lately. I don't know if you've read the book by Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, um, but I did just read it and I could not agree with you more uh, about the correlation. Okay. So Nick and, or Nicole and I, Nick is my husband, Nicole and I <laughs> actually had a quick but kind of heated uh, discussion about how I recently decided to stop-ish drinking, which I know that sounds crazy. How do you stop-ish? But I went probably from drinking, having four drinks a week to now maybe twice to a month. Um, I did this after reading Annie Grace's book. And Nicole's argument was that she doesn't understand how that really aligned with the intuitive eating approach. Approach, And of course, after I had the conversation recorded on the podcast, I feel like I could speak to this better because to her, I think what she was thinking is, um, isn't that deprivation? Are you taking away something that you enjoy? How is that aligned with intuitive eating? So before I go into my thoughts, I want to hear your thoughts about that. Uh. How much time do we have? This is actually currently one of my favorite topics. Um, 
Well, first of all, congratulations. Mm. That's, that's a huge change. Thank you. Um, and I know that that's not always easy. So that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, I have not read Annie Grace's book, but I have listened to a lot of her podcasts. Mm. Um, so I am a fan. If you had asked me this question four years ago or even three years ago, well, I don't know if you saw my post this morning, but today is two years of me being alcohol free. So I'm celebrating today and I feel really oh, proud and happy to share that. Amazing. This is good timing. Congrats to you. Thank you. Um, so if you had asked me this three years ago when I was at a point where I was um, deeply and but privately suffering with um, addiction with alcohol. I would have said, yeah, you know, not having a drink makes me want it more. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if I think about this from an intuitive eating lens, I probably should drink more so that (laughs) I'm not feeling deprived. I mean, that's sort of how that would look, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, I want to also be really open in this conversation to knowing lots of people have lots of different experiences and views around this. And, and that's totally fine too. So I'm just speaking to my own kind of um, opinion here. Mm -hmm. But um, I know that um, in, in my experience and in many, many people who I've spoken with about this, it's, it's not the same thing. And, and the reason why it's not the same thing is because of the type of substance and drug that alcohol is. Um, and that's, it's why it's such an addictive substance. Um, it's not simply the kind of habituation factor or the deprivation factor. It's actually what's happening in a person's brain when they are drinking alcohol and when they stop drinking alcohol how that next set of cravings comes on and how further into the addiction cycle someone becomes and not even addiction. It can just be dependence or it can be preference. You know, I'm not saying that everyone is the same kind of quote alcoholic here. There's lots of different ways that this presents, Mm -hmm. but we do know a lot of the science around how alcohol as a drug impacts the brain. And so it would be really unhelpful for someone who has a problem with alcohol to frame this around kind of that, that looking at it from an intuitive eating lens, because somebody who has a problem with alcohol needs to stop drinking alcohol. Um, And yes, that may make them feel in the short term, like their cravings are increasing, or it might lead them to a binge. But that's not because of the deprivation. It's because there's a problem with alcohol. Mm, It's because of the addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel bad because Nicole isn't here to kind of add to the conversation. But I think in my mind, I'm also thinking, yeah, not only if you have an alcohol addiction, is it a good idea to give it up? But just again, after reading the book, This Naked Mind, I feel like it's probably best for if you feel up for it everyone to give it up because everyone I mean I I can't think of one person who drinks less now than they did five years ago because it's a drug and the more you drink the more your body just gets used to it you can become more dependent on it so in my opinion I feel like it's very different from food because with food the more you eat for example uh, my what I used to my fear food used to be cake with buttercream icing or peanut butter peanut butter is a better example it was my Mm -hmm. one of my fear foods um so, of course, I always wanted it because I never allowed myself to have it. So then when I had it, I would, you know, overeat it. 
But with alcohol, I you you cannot achieve habituation because actually the more you have it, the more you actually want it. I feel like it's the opposite of food. Yes, right? you correct. Know? So you can't even yeah. have that habituation with alcohol, which is why it's probably best to just stop drinking it. Right. And also with food, I mean, our bodies are designed for survival and we need food for survival. So with food, if you don't get enough food, whether it's carbohydrates, proteins, fats, or total calories, your body will increase its cravings for food because that is a survival mechanism. We do not survive on alcohol. It is actually very different. So cravings from food are happening for a reason related to deprivation. Um, and alcohol is not, is not the same. Mm -hmm. It's, it's more because it's a drug. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, super interesting. I'll just mention some of the books, like the very first book I read was, um, we are the luckiest, um, loved it for anyone who is, um, identifies as a, a mom or is a parent, and then Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, I also really loved. I mean, there's so many good books, but I'm just, I totally agree with you. Um, once I, I learned more about, you know, what alcohol is and what it was doing to me and um, I, I got help. I really needed help. I, I got a sober coach, um, which was a game changer. And yeah, I, I'm just want to be a voice for people who are struggling with alcohol and know that it's not something to feel ashamed about. And there is really good help out there. There's a lot of support. There's wonderful recovery groups. And this is something we need to talk about more because it's, it's a huge mental health and physical health problem. Um, and we're here, we're in the health field. So we're here for this. <laughs> yes. Well, congratulations again. That's amazing. Thank you. All right. So that wraps up our questions. Do you have anything else that you think I'm missing uh, that you want to share? And of course, where can listeners find you? Thank you. Um, I would love for people to read the book if they're into it. So How to Raise an Intuitive Eater is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold on Kindle and um, audiobook too. Um, and then they can reach out to Amy or myself um, at intuitiveeatingforkids.com. And that's the number four. So intuitiveeatingforkids.com is our book website. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. I know you have kids to pick up, so I really appreciate your time, Sumner. Great. Thanks, Gina. It was great talking with you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, Nicole, mom wins. Favorite new product or recipes? What do you got? Yeah, first, just an apology for missing that interview. It was wonderful. And I just, I don't even remember how I dropped the ball, Gina, but I dropped the ball big time. So thanks for, thanks for rolling with Sumner. That was great. You know, sometimes it's just, it's kind of refreshing just doing a one-on-one interview. I mean, I love doing interviews with you, Nicole, but I know sometimes you do them alone as well. And, you know, it's just a good change in pace. So no problem at all. Mix it up. (laughs) Thanks so much. Um... Okay, so mom, when uh, I I'm I have this one down. Okay, I'm I'm switching gears completely. I am okay. going with because this is in our healthy in a hurry. I I couldn't choose. So my mom, when is actually a product from Costco called Bake Believe Dark Chocolate No Sugar Added Fifty Five Percent Cacao uh, Chocolate Chips. 
So what I like about them is they're sweetened with stevia and just a little bit of sugar alcohol. But I like, I don't like them because they're sugar-free. I like them because I like them more than chocolate chips. Mm, okay. To me, chocolate chips are just a bit too much. Like it, there's just a, a bit too much chocolate flavor. This is like a muted almost chocolate flavor. Hmm. And what I kind really, of sugar alcohol do they use? Do you have any I idea? it's a erythritol. Okay, so that's positive. one that doesn't, at least for me and most IBS sufferers would, wouldn't hurt, wouldn't cause, you know, the bloating and stuff. So that's good. Yeah, it's stevia and erythritol. I'm pr- don't quote me on that. I, I looked at the package. I was munching on them last night, but I, I looked at the actual ingredients a couple of days ago. Um, but I mean, calorically, they're, I mean, everything's pretty much on par with a regular chocolate chip except for the sugar, of course. Oh, okay, cool. So I like them. All right, nice. I'll have to give those a whirl. Uh, I never go to Costco, so maybe you can buy them online too, I'm guessing. Probably. Uh, all right, so, in the show notes. I, I also like the really, really chocolatey flavor of chocolate chips, so I don't know. We'll see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Hail Mary snacks. Maybe I've mentioned these before, but my I had a student this year with me who graduated, and as a, as a graduation gift, she uh, gave me a little goodie bag with some of these in it, and then I remembered how delicious these things are. Oh my gosh. So- Generally, the flavor is coconut and almond butter, I want to say, but just they taste super sweet. I think there's also dates in them. Don't quote me on that, but some type of a, a fruit. Oh my gosh, they're so good. It's 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 basically a dessert. Um, I don't go into it thinking, oh, this is a healthy dessert. I, my mindset is not that at all. It's really just, oh, this is a delicious snack that I'm going to enjoy and devour. And it's going to leave me satisfied because, oh, they're just so good. You know, I, I just love them so much. They have other products too. So this is more like a cup. I think they call them almond butter cups. They have other items too. So I'll put a link to their website in the show notes if you're interested. It's Hail Mary, H-A-I-L. And then Mary is actually M-E-R-R-Y. It's a little play on words there. Uh, But I highly suggest those products if you just want to try something new. Cool. All right. So coming up. Really good. Yeah. Have you ever had these before? No, but man, those look good. Okay. I'm sold before I've tried them. Thanks, Gina. (laughs) You're always the product no girl. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm the product girl. You're so right. I don't know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so coming up on May 22nd, we will be dishing out another healthier in a hurry episode. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>